With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Jamaica and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. Now on News Talk 105.9 WMAL. The Saturday Morning Update. Good morning. It is the Saturday morning update. I'm Rick Fowler, Jeff Wolf behind the console, Jane Houghton and our producer this morning. And of course, it is Memorial Day weekend and it is the somewhat unofficial kickoff of summer. And it is that weekend of the year that we pay tribute to those who have gone before us in service, remembering our veterans on Memorial Day. Always want to keep that in mind. Fireworks on the debt ceiling talks have continued. The president said late yesterday that uh, he is optimistic, feels we're very close, but it was a fascinating Friday, and uh, we've got some of the sound of the day. Now, where this stands now, it's kind of interesting that uh, Janet Yellen had been talking about the catastrophic default happening on June 1st. Well, all of a sudden, Janet Yellen magically changed the date to June 5th. So I don't know how you go from June 5th from June 1. I don't understand. Was that miscalculation or uh, whatever? No comprende on that one. But that could mean we'll have a little uh, longer debate on all of this stuff. We'll see how that plays out. But It does mean that they're trying to get it done this weekend. A source told CNN that they may have a deal reached today between the White House and Republicans. One note, that's just the deal between the White House and the Republicans. Then they have to get it through the Congress. And that could be yet another story, but we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. And maybe Janet Yellen can push the date to July 4th or something. Who knows? Anyway, so where are we as of today? Let's start off things with Friday morning. Here's how it went down. Kevin McCarthy started the day yesterday, and here's what he had to say. Of course, he is the Speaker of the House of Representatives, the key Republican. We're not just trying to get an agreement. We're trying to get something that's worthy of the American people, that changes the trajectory. So we're going to work just as hard. We worked through the night last night. I thought we made progress yesterday. I want to make progress again today, and I want to be able to solve this problem. So he set the tone yesterday morning. Now, the key sticking point at this point seems to be work requirements for able-bodied federal food aid recipients. And that seems to be a sticking point. And the White House says that the GOP efforts to boost work requirements is cruel and senseless. Democrats strongly opposed to that. Well, they talked about it yesterday. Garrett Graves is a Louisiana Republican who has been front and center in the negotiations And here is the Republican position as of yesterday afternoon on work requirements from Louisiana Congressman Garrett Graves. 
Democrats right now are willing to default on the debt so they can so they can continue making welfare payments for people that are refusing to work. And I'm talking about people that are without dependents, people that are able-bodied between 18 and 55. And that's crazy to me that we're even having this debate. Today. Are you willing to drop that work requirements and just hell agree no, hell no, not a chance. Hell no, not a chance. It seems like a sticking point indeed. AOC chimed in on it. This just gives you a sense of the uh, tension. And um, you would think if the legislation was right for America, you would think regardless if you're a Republican or a Democrat that you would vote for it. I mean, I understand party lines and that's the game. But when it all comes down to the end of it, you would think if it's kind of the right thing to do, that maybe some Democrats would vote for it or maybe some Republicans would, you know, vote for a Democratic bill if that came down. Well, AOC kind of uh, speaks the truth here. Kevin McCarthy needs to understand that he is not entitled to votes from a party that he does not belong to. AOC explaining how it works. You're not getting any votes from us. No matter how strong or how good it could be, you'll never get a Democratic vote. Thank you very much, AOC. And uh, later in the day, Patrick McHenry summed it up. Now, he is a Republican congressman, and he is also the chairman of the House Financial Services Committee. Again, he's been one of the key negotiators, and uh, he did display some optimism at the later part of the day on Friday. I would concur. Everybody wants to look for the white smoke. Yes. We're not at that stage yet. So you have to have, have an agreement, an agreement on the agreement, which is like the complicated part. You all know waiting around for um, you know, the final bit of agreements is the, is the hardest, longest wait. That is a hopeful sign to me. And I've rarely used that term in the last 12 days that I've been involved in this. So the hopeful sign of the president is saying those things. It tells me his White House team you know, might be in a, in a better disposition than what we've seen in previous days. So uh, that was late in the day from Republican Patrick McHenry. Also late in the day yesterday, President Biden took off for the weekend. He's uh, doing the doubleheader, Camp David and Rehoboth. Well, here's how he summed it up to reporters as he boarded the chopper late yesterday afternoon. With regard to the debt limit, things are looking good, very optimistic. So he's optimistic. We'll see how it all plays out. Again, we've got an extra four days to figure it out. Now, June 5th, the day projected for the, quote, catastrophic default, if it were to happen. It is 6.15. It is the Saturday morning update. And coming up on the program today, we will talk with Jim Trusty. Uh, we'll also be talking with Jennifer Harper, of course, at the Washington Times. Uh, some uh, more poll numbers for the president that are not promising at all. John Gizzi will bring us up to date on his take on the debt negotiations, where that goes next. Obviously, the entrance of Ron DeSantis into the presidential race. We'll uh, do the rundown with John Gizzi on that coming up later on this morning. Lieutenant Colonel Tony Schaefer will join us. We'll get the latest on Ukraine. And also KT McFarland will kind of put it all in perspective for us. So we got a good show coming up for you today. Right now, Mike Franciotti's in the WMAL Traffic Center. In Stafford County, Virginia, northbound 95 after Courthouse Road. you got the left lane blocked 
uh, with the issue there. Once beyond that point, you're looking good, making your northbound track up toward the Springfield Interchange. No issues on the southbound lanes of 95 at this time in Virginia. Beltway doing fine. No problems on 395 going into Maryland. Beltway looking good. No issues along the I-270 corridor, Interstate 95, and the Baltimore-Washington Parkway between the beltways moving at speed. Now from GarageDoorRepair.com, the WMAL Storm Watch 7 forecast. For today, we're looking for a high temperature of 77 under partly cloudy skies. For tomorrow, 40% chance of rain with a high of 73. A 40% chance of rain on Monday with a high of 73. Tuesday looks better, high 74, and back into some good sunshine by Wednesday with a high of 76. Currently in the nation's capital, 50 degrees. We're at 617 on the Saturday morning update on WMAL. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Jamaica and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. Afford Anything is a podcast that teaches you how to be smart with your money. As a small business, you don't have the resources to pay the level of overhead and for the level of services that a Fortune 500 company could afford. So I certainly understand why, if you want to offer benefits, the providers of that, that that fee is going to be higher because there's more account management per employee. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. News Talk 105.9 WMAL. Making sense of the news. The Saturday morning update continues. And, of course, the race got more interesting with the official announcement this week from Ron DeSantis. Going to get to that in just a second. But there was a a comment from David Gergen, uh, one of the Sunday talkers last weekend. And David Gergen was harshly critical of Donald Trump. But uh, I thought this was very interesting from David Gergen. Of course, he is a very well-respected pundit, uh, many years in uh, different administrations. And this was David Gergen last Sunday talking about the Biden presidency. On numerous occasions over the last two or three years, uh, Joe Biden has shown that he understands how to make the system work. And he's done that pretty successfully, even though people didn't have a lot of confidence in him at times. Um, But I have to tell you right now, it's, it's not so clear. I, I thought he made a tactical error of some magnitude when he insisted for and for month after month after month that he would never negotiate over the debt ceiling. He would never sit down with the other side and negotiate. And so the result was we didn't have negotiations. And now, you know, rather late in the game, from the point of view of a lot of folks, uh, was he, that he misinterpreted said, okay, that, that he didn't want to negotiate on items uh, whether it be you know, military, veteran benefits, Social Security, that he was saying, there are certain things I'm just not negotiating on. Well, it would be, uh, that would have been a much more persuasive argument had the president actually made it. But he didn't. He, he made a sweeping argument that there would be negotiations, period. It was going to be a clean bill. It is most assuredly not a clean bill. It is, in fact, is, is, is about as cluttered as we've ever seen them in this situation. Mm-hmm. So... I, I think I think that's not a sign of weakness, frankly. Okay. 
So what does that mean? It means Ron DeSantis is in the race. And there was a lot of criticism, of course. He went on Twitter with Elon Musk, and I, I thought that was cutting edge. And uh, I was uh, talking with somebody this week about it, and they were kind of poking fun at it. And I said, wait a minute, you know, you can't really knock DeSantis for that one because, put it this way, if I were running for president and I had the opportunity for Elon Musk to host my announcement on Twitter, I would think that Elon Musk would be able to get a Twitter conversation right. You would think Elon Musk could get that right, wouldn't you? Well, it didn't work out that way. Lots of glitches. And it could have been because of the amount of traffic on the Internet and the number of people who were watching Ron DeSantis. At least that's uh, his take on it. And here's what he had to say. We had a huge audience. It did. It was the biggest they'd ever had. It did break the Twitter space. And so we're really excited with the enthusiasm. But ultimately, it's about the future of our country. So he's uh, made a lot of uh, appearances this week, and we're going to bring you some of the highlights from what Ron DeSantis has to say, because we've heard a lot about him. It's it's typically been in the context of Florida, might have been the Disney debate, or, of course, uh, talking about parental rights in education. But uh, we'll, we'll give you some different perspectives on Ron DeSantis, and uh, here's one from earlier in the week. I am running for president of the United States to lead our great American comeback. Look, we know our country's going in the wrong direction. We see it with our eyes, and we feel it in our bones. We see the border being overrun. We see crime infesting the cities. What I will do is help restore normalcy to our communities. Here's Ron DeSantis on President Biden. A president who is a listless vessel, uh, not energetic, and not dealing with the key challenges that are facing our country. But it does not have to be this way. Our decline as a country is not inevitable. It is a choice, and I think we can choose a better pathway. And so what I will do is help restore normalcy to our communities, uh, integrity to our institutions, and sanity to our society. Truth needs to be the foundation of everything we do, and common sense can no longer be an uncommon virtue. We proved it could be done in Florida. Now, we know that Ron DeSantis has been walking a very fine line over Donald Trump because he does not want to alienate Trump supporters in the event that he does get the nomination. He will need them to come out in full support, and he does not want to lose that base. So he's he's kind of walking a fine line, but, of course, everybody's asking him questions about it, and he was asked why Donald Trump is criticizing him. I think a lot of what he's doing is showing uh, everybody that, that he understands that um, I've got a good chance to beat him because he doesn't criticize anybody else now. It's only me. And here's one of the questions asked this week about the timing and why now? Well, why now? I think it's because the country's going in the wrong direction. We have another four years of the Biden administration. Uh, I think some of the damage is going to be irreversible. Uh, I think we have an opportunity now, kind of like the late 1970s when Jimmy Carter was president, uh, to really move the country in a much stronger direction uh, and really bring a lot of bold leadership to bear. Uh, why me? You've got to be able to win. And then when you get in office, you've got to be able to deliver results. And I think we've been able to do both of those as good or better than anybody in the country. 
Now, there's the question on the debates. At one point, uh, former President Trump said he didn't need to do the debates. He wasn't going to do any debates. Well, how does Ron DeSantis feel about that? I think we should debate. I think the people want to hear it. Uh, you know, I grew up blue collar, working minimum wage jobs and learned nobody's entitled to anything in this world, Trey. You've got to earn it. And I think all of us have to go out and earn it. That's exactly what I intend to do. And I think the debates are a big part of the process. All right, so we're going to give you a little bit of sense about what you're going to hear on the campaign trail. And this is uh, Ron DeSantis. He was speaking yesterday morning in Orlando, and he's talking about education. We rank number one in education freedom. We rank number one in parental involvement in education. And we rank number one in higher education affordability. No tuition increases at our state universities in a decade, and we're going to keep it that way. And part of the reason we were able to do that is because while uh, we embrace uh, homeschool parents and provide more support than any state, we also understand that's not something every parent can do. And when it came time to make decisions during COVID, we had to make decisions about do you follow the crowd? Do you abdicate your office to somebody like Dr. Fauci? Or do you stand up to do what's right and make sure kids could be in school? And we made sure, using our authority, that every school district, uh, starting in the summer of 2020, every school had to be open for in-person instruction. And so parents in this state had the ability to send their kid to school in person. We knew it was the right thing to do. And we have one more on Ron DeSantis, and he was speaking there of education. And uh, he went on to be critical of the progressives and their message in education and their influence on the curriculum in the schools. And uh, here's how he followed up on that. Make no mistake, they don't want the parents involved in education. They don't want the parents involved in education because they view you as an impediment to their ideological agenda. They view you as an impediment to their ability to indoctrinate kids with their beliefs and their agendas. I'm sorry, I choose our beliefs as parents over the beliefs of the ideological left. So it's important that we're standing up for the rights of parents to be involved. We got involved in this most recent election. You know, I was running, obviously, for re-election, but it's not just about me. This is a team effort. You can't do it alone. So we got involved in a lot of school board races across the state. Uh, we had 29 conservative school board candidates out of 34 races win election to school board throughout the state. And they're making a big difference. So there you go. He's going to be taking his successes in Florida on the road to a national audience and for him, hopefully, to the White House. 626 Saturday morning update. We've got Jennifer Harper coming up next. Some interesting poll numbers. Stick around. 632 on the Saturday morning update. Mike Franciotti's in the WMIL Traffic Center. In Stafford County, Virginia, northbound 95 after Courthouse Road. you got the left lane block uh, with the issue there. Once beyond that point, you're looking good. 
making their northbound track up toward the Springfield Interchange. No issues on the southbound lanes of 95 at this time in Virginia. Beltway doing fine. No problems on 395 going into Maryland. Beltway looking good. No issues along the I-270 corridor, Interstate 95, and the Baltimore-Washington Parkway between the Beltways moving at speed. Now from GarageDoorRepair.com, the WMAL Storm Watch 7 forecast. Dry today with some cloud cover by the afternoon. I think we'll start today mostly sunny, but then we're ending the afternoon with mostly cloudy skies. Winds will pick up as well. Northeast gusts between 15 to 25 miles per hour. And temperatures on their way up to 76 for an afternoon high. Overnight lows back down to 54. Then tomorrow, not that high at all. Only a temperature of 70 degrees with scattered showers. I'm 7 News Meteorologist Jordan Evans in the First Alert Weather Center. 51 degrees in the nation's capital, 633 on the Saturday morning update. News Talk 105.9 WMAL. Making sense of the news. It is the Saturday morning update. It's Memorial Day weekend. We're joined by Jennifer Harper. She writes inside the Beltway at the Washington Times. Good morning and uh, good to have you with us on Memorial Day weekend. Thanks a lot, Rick. Good morning, everybody. Well, what are people doing on Memorial Day weekend? Mayor Pete was talking about uh, hopefully having a little better airline travel situation this weekend, but what are you finding people up to? Well, I tend to uh, look more at the numbers because we're kind of approaching road trip season. In fact, I think road trip season is underway. And uh, I've got, of course, a survey this morning. This is coming from an appropriate source called thevacationer.com. And they asked people a question. Will you travel for Memorial Day or Memorial Day weekend this year? And uh, not so many people. I thought it would be a lot more. But they found that only 36% of uh, Americans are traveling this weekend. And what the heck are they doing? Well, 21% said they're going to travel to attend a relative or friend's holiday party. 18% will travel for a formal vacation. They actually go somewhere and stay somewhere. Then there's the 17% Rick who will travel for a day trip to a getaway spot. Hmm. Plus uh, 7% who will travel, but they are not going to reveal what they are traveling. And uh, there's just a little bit more. Here's what they're going to be doing. 15% will attend the parade. 60% a barbecue or a cookout, 25% a fireworks display, and 8% are going to go to a sporting event. And a fifth of us are going to uh, specifically seek out a lake. I found that sort of interesting. 20% have decided they're not going to participate in any of the aforementioned seasonal activities. So we'll hope for the best for them. And uh, 10% are satisfied to just go to the movies this weekend. And again, this is coming from the vacationer.com interesting site. And that was a survey of a thousand U.S. adults that was conducted earlier in May. So President Biden apparently will be spending the weekend split between Camp David and Rehoboth Beach. Too bad he couldn't have made up his mind because it'll cost us to move him from Camp David to Rehoboth. But while he's got some downtime over the weekend, do you think he will be looking into his latest poll numbers, maybe reading how people feel about him? Gee, I don't think so. And uh, I, <laughs> I love the thought of um, all that activity in the air and how expensive it is, but we won't go uh, anywhere about how much those things cost an hour. But let's go to our poll numbers. This is a significant poll, actually. It's coming from Associated Press. I repeat, this is from the AP, and I'm just going to give you the numbers right away this morning. 78% of U.S. adults say that things in this country are headed in the wrong direction. 76% say the state of the U.S. economy is poor. 
67% disapprove of the way President Biden is handling gun policy. 67% disapprove of the way he is handling immigration. 66% disapprove of the way he is handling the U.S. economy. 59% disapprove of the way Mr. Biden is handling his job as U.S. president. 55% disapprove of the way Mr. Biden is handling uh, student debt issues. And, of course, our friend, uh, Republican National Committee Chairwoman uh, Rona McDaniel, had a reaction to that, and here's what it was. She said, Biden cares more about his vacation than the American people. House Republicans passed a common-sense debt ceiling proposal to save taxpayers' money, but Biden is again heading out of town to vacation without a deal to avoid a default. American families are suffering the consequences of Biden's lack of leadership, and he couldn't care less. And that's coming from Rona McDaniel. You know, the interesting thing is the lower his numbers go, the more he triples down on all the bad policies that are making his numbers drop. It doesn't make sense to me. But let's turn to the future and look at maybe a more positive outcome. We've got DeSantis now in the race, and uh, he and Trump are going to duke it out. Yeah, this is going to be very interesting um, because a lot of folks do not know about the real style of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. They certainly know a lot about uh the way President uh, Trump uh, makes warfare, or political warfare anyway. And um, let's talk a little bit about what's going on with him this week. He certainly made his debut on the presidential campaign trail. And a lot of people really, you know, came down on the fact that uh, we had a technical failure there with Twitter. The New York Times example uh, said that uh, Ron DeSantis gave the, quote, conference call from hell. That is what the New York Times called that uh, exchange a little earlier in the week. But the thing to remember is that's one little event. And following that conference call from hell, uh, as the New York Times thinks of it, um, he followed that event and is following that event with a dozen TV, radio, and podcast interviews on Thursday alone. That uh, came from this campaign was uh sent that over to me, and um, they say that the candidate is continuing to hit the ground running. And you also have to remember that he raised $8.2 million in the first 24 hours after announcing his run, after announcing the much vilified uh, um, the Twitter debut there. And um, he also called Mr. Trump an establishment Republican. So that's certainly a volley that uh, Mr. Trump will not uh, ignore. And... Um, also, we can look at uh, National Review columnist Jim Garrity, and he came up with a, something I thought was very significant uh, after the quote-unquote Twitter debut. He said, when the history of the Ron DeSantis 2024 presidential campaign is written, his announcement will be just one chapter. And I thought, huh, that's right. And he called all the fuss overreaction Thursday uh, when all of the criticisms came out. And uh, you have to remember, it is 528 days until Election Day, that between May 27th, 2023, and November 5, 2024, a lot can uh, change. And uh, according, again, to Mr. DeSantis' campaign, they say he has a formidable arsenal of political firepower kind of waiting to be deployed. And uh, he had a campaign uh, video that did come out this week, and they said that um, he is poised to lead our great American comeback. And the idea of including comeback and in that motto is very, very smart. And um, that particular uh, video was viewed 30 million times 
in the first 15 hours. I repeat, 30 million times. <laughs> That's according to the DeSantis campaign. So we're finding out that uh, a lot of people are very interested in what's going on. And um, again, our friend uh, Jim Garrity over at the National Review, he, he said, I still believe that the key moments in the 2024 GOP presidential primary will be the first time that DeSantis and Donald Trump are on the same debate stage. Probably right about that. What's the latest on the southern border crossings? We're going to go to the numbers thing because they really speak the loudest. Uh, And I'm going to give you some numbers here from a CBS News report that came out this week. This is a direct quote from them. In just a few months, the U.S. received more than 1.5 million requests from individuals hoping to sponsor the entry of migrants from four different countries an extraordinary number that could jeopardize the Biden administration's objective of reducing border crossings. That's a very sort of straight-laced report, again, from CBS. As of the end of April, the agency was receiving an average of nearly 12,000 applications per day from those seeking to sponsor Cubans, Haitians, Nicaraguans, and Venezuelans, a number deemed overwhelming by the agency itself. Hmm. And that's, you heard me right, 12,000 applications a day. And according to CBS, they said the flurry of hundreds of thousands of sponsorship applications on behalf of would-be migrants from Cuba, Haiti, Nicaragua, and Venezuela has overwhelmed caseworkers at the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, which can approve no more than 30,000 arrivals under the program each month. Uh, the agency also noted, Rick, that the documents uh, said that less than three days' worth of the applications were processed per month because they have a 30,000 uh, application cutoff per month. So that's what you got going on there. And the sheer volume of these numbers, I just have to remind myself every now and then and put something like that in the beltway. It is Memorial Day weekend, and of course, the solemnness of the weekend is overshadowed by people going to the beach, having the barbecues. Everybody's having a party when the weekend is really about remembering those who have given their lives in service. And you had a special story on that this week. I did. And let's talk about the Poppy Wall. This is actually from USAA, the USAA Poppy Wall of Honor. This is a, actually a temporary installation down on the mall, and it's honoring the over 640,000 American service members who gave their lives in service to our nation since World War One. And this is a display. It's a temporary installation. Again, it's a 133-foot wall, and um, it's on the mall, and it's eight feet high, and it features a whole special panel to commemorate the 50th anniversary of uh, our withdrawal from the Vietnam War. And according to USAA, they say Memorial Day weekend has long served as the unofficial start to summer, with many Americans getting together and enjoying a long weekend. However, it's important to pause and reflect on the true meaning of the holiday, to honor and remember those who paid the ultimate sacrifice in service to our country. And that came from U.S. Navy Vice Admiral, retired John Byrd, and he's uh, over at USAA sent uh, over a statement to the Beltway. And if you're curious, they have a digital poppy wall. You can share a remembrance over there if you like. You can find that at usaadigitalpoppywall.com. Also, the Poppy Wall of Honor down there, uh, it opens at 9 o'clock today, Saturday, and it's open till 9 p.m. It'll be open again on Sunday. 
at 9 a.m. and closing at 6 p.m. And the location is at the base of the Lincoln Memorial uh, between the Reflecting Pool and the Korean War Memorial. So that's something, you know, if you're looking for something else today, you might want to take a peek. Thank you for that. Jennifer Harper, Inside the Beltway at the Washington Times. You have a nice weekend. Thanks a lot, Rick. 6.44 on the Saturday morning update on WMAL. We'll talk with Jim Trusty next, but first, Mike Franciotti is in the WMAL Traffic Center. In Stafford County, Virginia, northbound 95 after Courthouse Road. you got the left lane block uh, with the issue there. Once beyond that point, you're looking good, making your northbound trek up toward the Springfield Interchange. No issues on the southbound lanes of 95 at this time in Virginia. Beltway doing fine. No problems on 395 going into Maryland. Beltway looking good. No issues along the I-270 corridor, Interstate 95, and the Baltimore-Washington Parkway between the Beltways moving at speed. Now from GarageDoorRepair.com, the WMAL Storm Watch 7 forecast. Dry today with some cloud cover by the afternoon. I think we'll start today mostly sunny, but then we're ending the afternoon with mostly cloudy skies. Winds will pick up as well. Northeast gusts between 15 to 25 miles per hour. And temperatures on their way up to 76 for an afternoon high. Overnight lows back down to 54. Then tomorrow, not that high at all. Only a temperature of 70 degrees with scattered showers. I'm 7 News Meteorologist Jordan Evans in the First Alert Weather Center. 51 degrees in the nation's capital, 646 on the Saturday morning update. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Jamaica and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. Business has always been about turning a profit, making money. But can it stand for something more? Something beyond dollars and cents? We think so. We think that today, business has a higher calling, a purpose to be fair and just, to do right by their workers, customers, communities, and the environment. And it turns out companies successful doing that also do better for their bottom line. When you see the Just Capital seal, it means this company is a force for good. Visit JustCapital.com to learn more. News Talk 105.9 WMAL. Making sense of the news. Saturday morning update continues. I'm Rick Fowler. Jim Trusty joins us. He is a member of the Trump legal team, a partner at IFRA Law here in Washington, former chief of the organized crime and gang section at the U.S. Department of Justice. Jim, good morning and happy Memorial Day weekend. Morning, Rick. You too. Story in the New York Times this week. Lawyers for former President Donald Trump sent a letter on Tuesday requesting a meeting with Attorney General Merrick Garland related to the special counsel investigation into Mr. Trump's conduct. The letter asserting that Mr. Trump was being treated unfairly by the Justice Department through the investigations led by the special counsel, Jack Smith. Jim, tell us about that. Well, we sent a very brief um, kind of generalized letter to the attorney general. And as to how it goes from here, you have to kind of stay tuned. But what we wanted to do was kind of get to the attorney general and let him know that we were seeing a lot of prosecutorial overreach, a lot of misconduct. And we're prepared to give them very specific examples. So it's going to be interesting to see how these next few days play out. You know, it's been reported that Hunter Biden's attorneys were able to meet with the U.S. attorney in Delaware himself, as well as an unnamed senior DOJ official. So I don't know if that's the attorney general, but it's probably somebody pretty high up in the ranks. 
So our thought is, you know, for something this historic, this important as going after a current presidential candidate and a former president of the United States, that we at least ought to have some sort of dialogue with the decision makers over at DOJ. And the reason we reached high, the reason we went to the attorney general is because the misconduct, we think, is very much with the blessing and at the hands of the special counsel. So going to complain about misconduct to the special counsel when they support that kind of behavior is going to fall on deaf ears and not get to the ultimate decision maker, who is the AG in this case. So we'll see how it plays out. I think if, you know, if we don't get some marginally fair or courteous treatment from DOJ, then I think it'll be much easier to take this stuff public and at least let the court of public opinion know that there's been some real serious overreaching. And again, this is stuff that myself and John Rowley in particular, we're both former DOJ attorneys. We've been around prosecution for a long time. We don't level that kind of charge lightly, but we're in a position now where we think the attorney general really needs to consider the, the means of DOJ's investigation and not just the end. You make an interesting point in that you have been on the other side. You are at the Department of Justice, so you have been in very similar positions. Yeah, I mean, I was never special counsel, but I was a, a prosecutor on the state side of Montgomery County for 10 years. I was a federal AUSA or assistant U.S. attorney in Greenbelt for the District of Maryland for 10 years. And then I went down to the Department of Justice and eventually spent about six and a half years as the chief of the organized crime and gang section. And in that capacity at Maine Justice, you get dragged into things that are kind of out of your lane. So I dealt with things like dealing with aftermath from the Ted Stevens prosecution. If you remember, Senator Stevens was prosecuted, very high profile election year prosecution, where it turns out the government sat on some very important discovery matters that should have been turned over to the defense. So you get exposed to kind of broader issues, misconduct included, and it helps give you some perspective as you sit here years later and see behavior that seems very uh, persecutorial rather than investigative. We followed the Alex Murdaugh murder case very closely and a significant development this past week, Jim. What happened there? Yeah, Alex is the gift that keeps giving. It's pretty amazing. So early in the week, he was indicted for 14 counts of money laundering, five counts of wire fraud, one count of bank fraud, and several conspiracy counts. These are federal charges. They carry with them generally about 20 years each, a couple of them or less, a couple or more, hundreds of years of exposure. Uh, it's very interesting. They rolled out these federal charges, and they're all based on him stealing settlement funds that should have gone to his clients as a lawyer. And a lot of this played out in the murder trial, you remember, as evidence of motive, that his financial desperation contributed to his decision to, to kill his family members. The best example from the trial, frankly, or the most lurid one, was the wrongful death collusion where he and a, an old buddy from law school took $4.2 million that was owed to the housekeeper's family after she fell down the steps. And I put quotation marks around the word fell. That one's in state court separately. So he still has like literally 100 counts in state court to deal with. And he has this new federal case. And I have to tell you, the, the federalist in me kind of blanches for a moment when you talk about doubling up. Sometimes you, know, you have a guy who's already going to serve a life sentence, or at least it looks like he will. Sometimes you wonder, you know, what's the motivation for piling on? But, but the reality is there is some leverage here that could work pretty well for finality from the murders. And what I mean by that is, his attorneys have already announced publicly they expect this federal case to work out quickly. 
because he's cooperating with the authorities. I think what that means is they're going to wrap a bunch of these charges into a global disposition, as they call it, plead guilty to a bunch of different stuff, maybe withdraw his appeal from the murder trial and let him rest uh, peacefully in prison for the rest of his day. So I think in a weird way, this might work out pretty decently where the federal government doesn't spend a whole lot prosecuting him, but they get the certainty of a lifetime behind bars, perhaps even withdrawing the appeal of state court. So the Murdoch story looks like it might be finally winding down to a, a just ending. Jim, we've been talking recently about attorneys in courtrooms who are actually the defendants, and we've got another example of that this week. Well, this is a very interesting murder case out of Georgia involving an attorney by the name of Richard Merritt, who was convicted on Wednesday for murdering his 77-year-old mother with a dumbbell and a knife in 2019. This happened on the day he was supposed to report to prison for various white-collar crimes, and this is going to sound familiar, including stealing money from elderly clients, specifically pocketing settlements that were supposed to go to these elderly clients. This guy decided instead of living in the lap of luxury like the Murdoch family, he'd just buy himself a Porsche and pay for some vacations with the money that was supposed to go to his elderly clients. Well, that case was catching up with him. He was on release from that case with an electronic ankle bracelet on to make sure he didn't flee. And on the day he was supposed to self-report for a 15-year sentence, he decided he was going to take off his ankle bracelet and make a run for it. Well, mom, to her everlasting credit, said to young disbarred lawyer Richard, don't do it. And so that led to his murder of his mother. He fled to Tennessee, changed his name, got a job, found a new girlfriend on a dating site, was probably feeling pretty good, was living with her. And then about nine months later, by my calculation, the U.S. Marshals came knocking, found him in Nashville, and dragged him back to his trial in Georgia. He testified at the trial. This will sound familiar, too, from Alex. And in his case, probably also blowing snot bubbles, as Alex was described as testifying, he said, I saw the murder at the hands of some undescribed monster. Some other man murdered my mother in front of me, and my reaction was to cut my ankle bracelet and flee to Nashville. Again, not the most rational reaction to watching somebody murder your mother. Three-day trial, 90 minutes of deliberation, which I would call barely polite, and a uh, life without parole sentence will be imposed automatically. He'll also get the 15 years from stealing from the elderly clients, and they'll violate his probation since he was technically on probation for that or on release for that, and he'll get another 15 years. So I don't know what's going on with the, the water in the law schools these days, but it seems like every Saturday we have a murderous attorney who flees and who uh, testifies for himself unsuccessfully. So we'll see what we have next week, Rick. Jim Trusty, partner at IFRA Law here in Washington. Jim, have a good holiday weekend. All right, you too. Have a great one. Thank you. 6.54, the Saturday morning update on WMAL. 7 o'clock news coming up with Heather Curtis. WMAL-FM, Woodbridge, Washington, a cumulus media station. Making sense of the news. News Talk 105.9. Movies, TV shows, books, podcasts, and more. It's what women binge with Melissa Joan Hart and her friend Amanda Lee. We have Lauren Bosworth with us. Yay! Yay! 
the hills. So what is like your number one question from fans? The primary question I still get asked was, what, is it real? <laughs> <laughs> in 2024, to me, is a surprising question to get because I feel like everybody has been through the reality TV gauntlet at this point. What women binge wherever you listen.